Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back and the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. 
This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Ion Travel and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. In honor of Earth Week, I'm sitting down with Costas Crisp, the founder of Beyond Green and the editor-at-large for National Geographic Travel, for his big-picture view on the state of travel and the state of the planet. Then a conversation with Paul Bennett, the chairman of Sustainable Travel International, on what we can do as travelers and as consumers. Paul's calling me in by satellite from his boat moored in the harbor of Cape Town, South Africa. And then I'll check in with what airline captain Greg Morris knows about what the airlines are doing to reduce their carbon footprint. First up, Costas Crisp. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. You don't usually hear me recommending movies or documentaries, but I'm going to do this one. The other night, by happenstance, I was watching Netflix and came across an amazing documentary. It's called Seaspiracy. I'll spell it. S-E-A, like the ocean sea, right? Seaspiracy. I have to warn you, it's staggering, it's disturbing, but it's also eye-opening. What I saw in that documentary, many of you know I'm not a meat eater, I'm a a pescatarian. I may not be a pescatarian after watching this show, but it also mobilizes you to ask the hard questions of your elected representatives, of your own grocers, about labeling of food, and about really where food comes from. You know, I always like to joke that when you ask kids today where food comes from, they tell you the store. Watch this documentary, Seaspiracy. And then I want to hear from you. Email me, peter at petergreenberg.com. Let me know what you think. It was truly, when I say enlightening, it's, it's, it was staggering. And, and I have to warn you, it was disturbing, but it is a must-watch documentary. And uh, my next guest knows a lot about this because he's the founder of Beyond Green Travel. He's the editor-at-large at National Geographic Traveler. He's our good friend, Costas Crest. Hey, Costas. Hi, Peter. How are you? And happy Earth Week. Happy Earth Month. Happy Earth everybody. (laughs) But you know what? The Earth is not happy. No, the Earth is not happy, but it is resilient. And when we give it a chance, it will rebound. And that's the whole point. And that's what Earth Week and Earth Month is about. It's about giving the Earth a chance. And as you and I know, Peter, because we've talked about this many times, travel can play a big role in that. And you know what, Costas, before we even get to the actual act of travel... Let's talk about the act of not traveling and what that meant for the Earth's situation. When you start seeing the water in Venice get clear, when you start seeing uh, dolphins in the Bosphorus, when you start seeing animals basically trying to retake their, their territory because they feel confident enough to, to come down and see it, uh, that's an indication right there that we've got some work to do. Yes, Peter, and it's an indication of something else also. It's an indication that we as humans have forgotten our connection to nature. We think, we think nature's over there. It's, it's in a jungle in Costa Rica. 
It's in a coral reef somewhere. But Peter, we are nature. It is us. And when we protect nature and save nature, we save ourselves. We need to make that connection again. We need to understand that connection again. Well, let's talk about the last year, for example. Uh, Nobody planned this. It wasn't part of anybody's strategic vision that COVID-19 would be as disruptive as it was and as impactful as it was in terms of nobody traveling, in terms of people basically staying home. Uh, And in that process, it gave us, at least it gave some of us, a time to think about what you're talking about. It gave some of us time to assess the opportunities to think or to do about what you're talking about. And ironically, of course, what were we talking about a little more than a year ago? Over tourism. What were we talking about? Cruise ships crowding into the harbor in Venice. We were talking about Barcelona. We were talking about, you know, Venice again. We were talking about Athens. And nobody really has solutions, but at least it was on the table. Then there was no over-tourism. In fact, there was no tourism. And now, here we are a year later, how appropriately discuss this during Earth Week, the world is being given a chance for a do-over. We're being given a chance for a reset. The question is, first of all, are we going to do it? And I'm assuming we have an answer for when we're going to do it. But most importantly, I want to hear the answer of how we're going to do it. Go for well, it, Peter, um, I'm glad you asked. And you know what? Since you and I didn't even talk about this previously, and you are the host of a very popular radio show, And there are a lot of people out there who love to travel for very good reasons. I am very happy to tell you that just this month, we have launched Beyond Green. You said, how are we going to do it? We're going to do it with a new comprehension of what travel should be. And Beyond Green, which is not a hotel collection, Peter, it is a portfolio of iconic properties around the world and travel companies that are committed to travel as a force for good. Now, those are easy words to say. You and I know words are easy. It's really about impact and action. And Beyond Green stands for nature, community, and culture. And always with gratitude and respect. And here, Peter, is my key message. As people begin to travel again, and I think you've seen this and you've sensed this as well, they're looking at life differently. I think we all are. We're all looking at life differently than we were 14 months ago before the pandemic. And with that, a deeper sense of purpose and meaning. And meaning. More time with friends and family, slowing down to enjoy each moment, We've heard over and over again about people wanting to connect with nature, the beauty of nature. We've heard over and over again about people wanting to care and about protecting our planet. That's at the heart of what Beyond Green's approach to traveling is, with respect and gratitude for the people and places we visit, and we're doing it, and we have a methodology for that. Well, is there a possibility, I'm just going to raise this as a possibility, Costas, that the way we approach travel now is much more process-oriented than it is product-oriented? I would say yes. Process, I would say from the individual level, I can certainly speak for myself, but many, many, many people I've been speaking with, 
It's just a rethinking of what travel means. We've heard, yes, it's about experiences, but it's about meaningful experiences. It's about something you and I have talked about for a long time. The idea that we can have a great trip and a great vacation, and we can do it in such a way that it gives back to people and the planet. You mentioned a moment ago, you said we went from over-tourism to no-tourism, and this is the kind of pendulum that we've seen. So we went from nature being destroyed by over-tourism, cultural heritage being damaged, local communities being disrespected, and then we swung to no-tourism. And what happened? Nature, again, was damaged because the good side of tourism went out with the bad. Local communities were being disadvantaged because the positive side of tourism, as in sustainable tourism, went out the window. So as the Buddha so rightly said all those generations ago, I'm not a Buddhist, but I always was inspired by the middle path. We need to find our balance and our harmony. And that is the new reset that we need in the travel and tourism world. We've been talking with Costas Chris, the founder of Beyond Green Travel and the editor-at-large for National Geographic Traveler. So no big surprises in what the problems are, Costas, but now we have to figure out, are we emotionally prepared? Are we physically prepared? Are we even intellectually prepared to take action now? Because we've had 14 months to think about it, and we've seen the, by omission, some of the reactions of what happens when we don't travel. We already know what happens if we travel too much. Uh, so are we going to put in, you know, numbers caps in uh, St. Mark's Square? Are we, we, they've already banned the, the big cruise ships from, uh, from, from most of Venice. Are we going to put in numbers caps on how many people can walk Las Ramblas in, uh, in Barcelona? Are we going to talk about how many people are jammed into the Acropolis in Greece? I mean, wh where do we start? Peter, we start by recognizing that we live on a finite planet of natural resources. We have so much air, so much water, so much forest, so much resources that are finite, okay? And in order for us to survive as a planet, we have to learn how to live sustainable lives within those finite resources. Just like anybody, if we think of all of our common sense, if you've got a cupboard full of food at home, a pantry, and you know that's all you have, the question is, do you just rush through it in three days, or do you figure out a plan so you can survive over the long term? That's the whole underpinning of sustainability. It's also the entire underpinning of what we call sustainable tourism. I think the thing that has pained me the most is that we have solutions, Peter. Just this week, another major airline in the world, in this case, Etihad, an airline you know, you've flown on more than one occasion, yep. just did their second eco-flight, meaning green energy alternative to jet fuel, between the Middle East and Rome. It's like the test we used to have when we were trying to get to the moon, and one day we did get to the moon. So the innovation in the aviation space is starting to get more serious. Meanwhile, we already know that there are tools we have in sustainable tourism to make travel a positive contribution to a sustainable future on our planet. I get that, but now 
we have to talk to people who want to go see their favorite destinations. They want to go see them when they want to go. They want to do what they want to do. And I'm not saying that we're talking about ugly Americans. I'm talking about just tourists worldwide. Um, you know, I remember in 2019 sailing into Venice and getting off at the dock and it was right right by the Daniele and walking right over the Bridge of Sighs. It looked like the Bridge of Thighs. I mean, it was everybody had a selfie stick. It was it was really it was it was really disappointing and ugly. That's right, Peter. That's out of control tourism. Okay. So the truth is that yes, we're going to have to plan better, aren't we? Who really enjoys being on the bridge of what you call selfie sticks or the bridge of thighs, bumping into people, constantly crowding people? Is that really a good vacation? Maybe there are some people in the world for whom the idea of a mob scene where you're fighting to try and get the gl- a glimpse of the Mona Lisa is your version of an ideal holiday. It's not mine, but that's why even at the Louvre, for example, they let in only certain number of people to see certain exhibitions of art during certain periods of time. Otherwise, it becomes a mosh pit. And if we don't want our planet to become a mosh pit, and if we don't want our holidays to become a mosh pit, then we can operate with the basic principles of gratitude and respect and understand that when we travel gently, we are actually traveling with purpose, and it makes our experience better and it makes it better for the communities and for the destinations we visit. You know, you've just given me a great sort of demented idea, and that idea is I'm going to open up the Great American Museum of the Mosh Pit. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll just, and we'll just have a retrospective every week of, uh, of how we're messing things up. I'm kidding, of course. But the bottom line is each of us can be responsible without taking ourselves over you know overly seriously but we can be responsible when we travel and it's not just about plastics and it's not just about reusables and it's not just about carbon footprint it's about so many other things that we just take for granted or we uh, are Peter, conscious- I would love yeah. if you yeah. don't mind to welcome all your listeners to go to a website staybeyondgreen.com staybeyondgreen.com and learn about traveling gently and a new vision for the world of travel, where sustainable tourism isn't about giving something up, it's about gaining something more. My thanks to Costas. Next, I head south, way south, to Cape Town, South Africa, where I check in with Paul Bennett, the chairman of Sustainable Travel International. One of the most often used words, if not one of the most often misleading words, or misused words, especially this year, is the word sustainable. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a definition of it, and my next guest might have the answer because he's the chairman of Sustainable Travel International, and he joins us from his boat moored somewhere near Cape Town, South Africa, Paul Bennett. Hey, Paul. Hi, Peter. Thanks a lot. So you heard my introduction. Before we even get to a sustainable strategy, what does sustainable mean to you as it relates to travel? I mean, I think that's a really smart way to to frame it. Um, for me, you know, I think if you back out and really look at sort of the large, uh, larger definition of sustainability, for me, it really means understanding impact um, and understanding that in this context, travel has an impact on the planet, 
on the places you're, you're visiting, the people you're interacting with. Um, and it can often have a positive impact, but it, it, it also um, most frequently has a negative impact. So understanding those negative impacts, being able to, to measure them, and then you know taking two strategies. One is to reduce those impacts as much as you can, the negative impact, and where you can't reduce anymore, uh, mitigate them. Um, and there are you know myriad tactics and strategies that, that you can employ there. But for me, it's about really understanding that as travelers, we do have impact, knowing what that is and, and being able to, to measure it. All right, but let's let's get a little down and a little bit deeper here. Give me an example from a consumer travel perspective of one of those negatives is. Well, I think the, you know, probably the most commonly understood one is is a climate impact and specifically carbon, right? So we all know, uh, I mean, this week there's, you know, it's a big week for, for the climate and for discussions about carbon emissions. Um, with the climate summit taking place and a lot of really fantastic announcements there. Um, and we all know that that travel is a big polluter, a big emitter of carbon into the atmosphere. About 8% of annual emissions come from travel. Um, and the travel industry is, is taking this seriously, I mean, and has been, has been talking about it for a long time. And I think we're starting to see some really interesting action. Um, you know, Delta has made some pretty big announcements about their ambitions to, to reduce their carbon footprint and then offset what they can't reduce and become um, you know, carbon neutral. And, and there's a lot of other companies kind of doing the same. And so I think as a consumer, you know, one of the things you can do is put pressure on these companies, right? So choose a, an airline that you feel has, um, you know, is doing things to reduce its, its carbon footprint. I mean, Obviously, you know, one of the, the big challenges for a traveler is, you know, the best way to, um, you know, address your carbon footprint as a traveler is to not to travel. Um, for me personally, I find that the negatives there outweigh the positives because travel, of course, is, a, is an incredible force for good. Um, you know, it, it draws us together. It's educational, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, you want to try to find strategies uh, to travel but also uh, have a, a lower carbon footprint. So one way to do that is to not travel quite as far. Uh, so, you know, the pandemic, uh, there've been some silver linings in the pandemic. And one of them is that people are discovering their backyards more, staycations or very local trips. Um, you know, the U.S. traveler is, is traveling domestically this year. And I hope that, you know, we emerge from this with a, a sort of travel patriotism and understanding that we, you know, uh, that Americans live in, in an amazing country. And that's true for Canadians and, and other people, um, other nationalities. So that's one strategy is to try to, to travel, you know, uh, shorter distances so you don't emit as much carbon. And then, you know, to once, you know, you do make your travel plans and you, you figure out what works for you, um, offsetting that carbon. Um, so buying carbon offsets to, to match your footprint. Exactly. We're talking to, to Paul Bennett, the uh, chairman of Sustainable Travel International. And when we come back, the big question, because we can talk about carbon and offsetting um, and what people can do about it in terms of their own personal travel. But then there's policy uh, set by governments, set in many cases as a private par uh, public partnership with travel providers. And that gets into the ironic concept. And I say ironic because that was topic A right before the pandemic. And what was that? Over tourism 
And of course, the over-tourism problem got settled almost immediately by the pandemic. All the examples of Venice and Barcelona and other countries saying they didn't want to become another Venice or another Barcelona. Some of the ideas that were being launched right before the pandemic were putting turnstiles in St. Mark's Square uh, or in Greece, extending the travel season so that they had a 12-month season instead of a four-month season, which I don't know if that would have worked. And then, of course, the pandemic came, and their over-tourism problems were, at least in the short term, immediately solved. Now, as 3.5 million Americans and many more million foreigners are getting vaccinated every day, uh, vaccination to so many people means liberation and the ability to travel. Uh, as we're speaking, country after country is readdressing their COVID-19 restrictions, and in many cases saying, if you can show proof of vaccination, you may not have to quarantine, you may still have to test, but you can come. And as we're seeing with the, with the reservation numbers that are being recorded, they are absolutely going to come. So here's the challenging question, Paul. The world's going to learn from their mistakes and figure out a way to avoid over-tourism part de. Boy, that is... Uh... <laughs> That's a good question, Peter. So, I mean, I think one thing that is going to happen is there's so much pent up demand that when people can travel again, they're going to travel. And, you know, tourism as an industry has been growing, you know, four to seven percent every year for the last decade, two decades, maybe. Um, and I think we're going to see a huge spike in in tourism and travel post-pandemic. Exactly when it comes, you know, there's a lot of prognosticators betting a lot of money in, on different months, but it is definitely going to come. So, you know, I, I think that right there is a problem um, for uh, the issue of overtourism. It is overtourism is a real issue. Um, you know, you you named a couple of, of key destinations: Venice, Barcelona, um, places like the Vatican and Rome. Uh, I mean, these places are just overrun with tourism. And so, you know, what can we do about it? I mean, I think on one level, <clears throat> you know, if you think about it from the point of view of the destination, um, governments, local governments, um, or you think of it from um, the point of view of the tour operators who are there, um, I think there's got to be policies that come into place, um, whether it's turnstiles in, in Piazza San Marco or, you know, or other regulations. Um, you know, we're going to have to regulate tourism in those places where there are just too many people. You know, the numbers in Venice are are shocking, um, you know, in terms of the how the population um, grows at a at an exponential level when the cruise ships come in, um, and it, the city just gets overrun. And I, I lived in Italy for a long time. Um, we founded I founded Context Travel there, and, and spent a lot of time uh, moving all over the country. And I saw Venice uh, change over the last twenty years, and it, it really is not the place it used to be. So. For the sake of the destination, um, if for nothing else, we need to we need to reduce those numbers. Now, you know, from a consumer point of view, what does that mean? Does it mean, oh, great, you know, they're going to pass a bunch of laws and I'm not going to be able to go to Venice? No, I mean, I think it, it's about, you know, thinking about your impact again, um, back to kind of the big topic and seeing that you can spread your impact out over uh, multiple destinations rather than just following the crowds to the places that, you know, are constantly on the cover of, of travel and leisure and, and other magazines, not to single out travel and leisure, but, you know, <clears throat> these are the places that are the big name destination, but there are so many other places, just again, just staying in Italy, there are so many little towns and places down, you know, in the South of Italy that you can go to that are rich in history and have amazing art and incredible food. And in fact, your, your cultural 
experience of interacting with Italians and kind of living like a local is is much richer there um, than, you know, crowding into a, a schlocky hotel in Venice and trying to, to brave the throngs in, in you know, St. Mark. So I think, you know, this is a strategy that the consumer can take. It's also a strategy that businesses can take. So I used to, I founded a company called Context Travel that did walking tours all over Europe. And um, we got very you know, focused on this issue. We used to, our biggest selling tour was the Vatican and the Vatican is, you know, way overcrowded um, and just packed with people. And it's really a bad experience for the tourists and a terrible um, it's terrible for the art. And so we, you know, we started consciously doing things to try to promote other parts of Rome. We would give people free tours to other parts of Rome just to get them. It became a mantra over many years. Let's get people out of the Vatican. And even the tour guides uh, that were working in the Vatican were, uh, were asking, please, we want to do less of this and we want to take people to all the other you know, rich places. So that's a thing where I think you know, tour operators and you know, travelers that care about these issues can really get in alignment and begin to make what might begin as micro changes, but could, uh, if the media got involved and really promoted this, could become macro changes in travel behavior and really um, make a dent in impact in things like over-tourism, places like Venice and Barcelona. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. My thanks to Paul. Now, we can't talk about Earth Week without taking to the skies. Airline Captain Greg Morris joins me to talk about what the airlines are doing, or perhaps should be doing, about the environment, especially in the midst of a public health crisis. It is Green Week. We've been talking about this throughout the show. And uh, that's also Green Week up in the air, or at least supposed to be. Joining us now, one of our regulars, our airline pilot, Greg Morris. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Hi, Peter. Happy Earth Week. That's right. Happy Earth Week to you. So let's discuss this. You know, we've talked about carbon footprints. We've talked about biofuels. We've talked about the tests that the airlines have done. And quite frankly, the biofuels do work. They've been working now for the past four or five years. But the problem is cost. You know, it's sort of like when my parents got their very first color TV set, we were blown away. I think my father was in shock because it was about an $800 television set and and it was like the biggest expense he'd ever done other than a car. And of course, today you can get a, a color TV set for about $89. So the fuel, is stu- the fuel cost for the biofuel, even though it works, they're not buying it in mass quantities. Therefore, the price hasn't come down. So nobody's really using it. Well, they're, they're making pledges to do so. I mean, I know, Peter, that green is green is important to you. So I guess it's time to put the green in Greenberg. So <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about how aviation is working on being kinder to the planet. I, one thing we, we and before we get into renewables, we know looking at 
2020 in review that when the world came to a screeching halt and the cars were parked and the planes were fewer and the ocean liners, the uh, the cruise ships were not churning through the oceans, there was certainly documented proof of improved air quality, water pollution, noise pollution, and a reduction in greenhouse gases. So the airlines are, you know, I reached out to a number of them this past week to ask them what they are going to, what steps they're taking. Um, and so one thing that kind of was funny is that Frontier says that um, they're giving away free spring passes to all those whose name end in green, and that's with or without an E at the end of their name. Uh, but on a serious note, um, Ed Baston at Delta, their CEO, says, you know, the travelers should not have to choose between seeing the world and saving the planet. And the bottom line is that uh, most of the airlines are pledging to buy into more of the sustainable aviation fuel, which is, you know, derived not from carbon, but from plant and from home and, and animal waste. Uh, the problem, like you said, is cost. And so what, one thing I one figure that I latched onto is that in reality, if you look at sustainable aviation fuel and production today, if you looked at everything that's in production, it would only be enough to sustain one of the legacy carriers, and we're, looked, we're talking pre-COVID levels, for one day's operation. So obviously a long way to go in terms of bringing the sustainable aviation fuel that has the um, carbon footprint reduced to zero and the associated cost way down, the airlines are pledging to buy millions and millions of dollars into that and pledging that their customers now have opportunities to help uh, buy into that sustainability as well. Now, there's another issue as well. Uh, I've been flying a lot lately. Now, I think I, sh I can say with, with full confidence that I do not pick a flight based on the in-flight in food. I, I do not pick a flight based on the onboard cuisine. But I am noticing that as airlines are bringing food back, especially to the back of the plane, the packaging of that food has more plastic than ever. Uh, they're doing it because of a health issue now. But still, if you take a look at paper products, straws, plastic, I don't see a lot of progress. No, and that's the other, another point I was going to bring up is that uh, beverage service is also coming back, and that's aluminum cans. So the companies, while they have a lot of work to do in reference to sustainable aviation fuels, there's certainly a lot more they can do in terms of recycling these products, recycling these cans, separating what is recyclable waste from non-recyclable waste, and that would go a long way. And there's one more thing, speaking about food coming back, and I've never understood this. I've seen so many flights, and I think you have too, where you land at a destination and half the meals have not been served or haven't been eaten or they boarded too many. And it's certainly viable, edible, healthy food, uh, and it goes to waste. It gets thrown out. Are they finally getting smart and working with food banks and with charity organizations to be able to distribute that food to the people who really need it? Well, they're getting smart on the ground, restaurants are, uh, and, and donating that to food banks. I guess that's my next question to the airline industry, and we'll get back with the answer. We've been talking to Captain Greg Morris. Greg, I know you're based in D.C. I fly through all the time. In fact, you and I first met each other at uh, at National. I call it National, see? Um, I, of course, it's Reagan. And, you know, it was designed for propellers, 
Let's not kid ourselves. It wasn't designed for jets. It wasn't designed for the volume of flights it's been doing. And like many other airports like LaGuardia in New York or or even Burbank in California, it's a very convenient airport. Uh, if I have a choice of flying out of, out of National or Reagan or Dulles, it's going to be Reagan every time. And yet, how do you get between some of the gates? It was it was a mess for a while, wasn't it? Uh, well, 35X is an infamous gate. And um, so salutes to American Airlines in this segment. And yes, our paths have crossed more than once in Washington. And for all of the frequent travelers who have had to deal with the 35X experience, that means being hauled by buses to hard stands facing all weather while boarding off in smaller jets. Well, those days this week have come to an end. And American Airlines has opened a brand new terminal at Washington National Airport. I call it National 2, Peter, so don't do <laughs> All right. But uh, so gone are the buses to the hard stands. And in its place is a beautiful new regional terminal at Washington's Reagan National Airport with 14 new gates, with an open-air experience, with availability of suits, seats in, in a plenty, and lots of power ports, too. So, um, And the other thing to note, since this is uh, a green week, an Earth week in particular, is the fact that American, in doing in replacing the hard stand for this new terminal uh, with the airport authority at uh, Reagan National Airport, is that uh, they are getting rid of the smaller 145 jet service, the regional jet service, replacing it, they say, with all two-class service. So the larger regional jets are the only airplanes that will be flying both in and out of Washington's National and also Dulles. That means two-class first and coach-class service. That, as we look at what's green and what's not, the bigger jets are more um, economical to operate, more fuel-efficient, and yes, that too leads to um, more of a, a green note. All right, now I got to change gears here just a little bit because I did mention another airport that was quite convenient, and that's Burbank. The year is 2021, and yet Burbank does not have jetways. In the year 2021, I mean, I love the romance of the idea that you walk out on the tarmac and climb upstairs, except if you have a mobility issue. And if you have a physical disability, it is not only dangerous, it's downright awkward and embarrassing. How do they board you on the plane in the year 2021? I have to tell you, you know what they do? They they use cherry pickers and lift you up in a wheelchair. It's, oh my God, it's ridiculous. And I just hope that we can get to a point before we get to 2022 where airport designers realize that 19% of the American public has a physical disability or a handicap of some sort that needs to be addressed. Not only that, I'll make you a bet about about Washington National. I bet there's not one ticket counter there that's at wheelchair height. Bet you there's not. And I bet you there's not one counter at Burbank or at LAX for that matter. And that's 19% of the public that can't reach the counter, that can't uh, uh, fill out a form, that can't do anything. And you would think they're opening up new terminals all the time, including LAX. Where is the input there that's logical, commonsensical to address a serious need that's so easy to fix. And, you know, if you think that's bad, Peter, when they built the new tower at Washington um, National Airport at Reagan and they overhauled that airport like they're doing in LaGuardia, the tower design was created in such a way that no thought was given to the height of the air traffic controllers and the level of the floor. And so when they tried to open up the tower, the new tower at Washington National, they had controllers standing on milk cartons and they had to go back and redesign the tower so that those 
those who are slightly more height challenged could do their job properly. So it goes beyond the ticket counter, I'm afraid. It does. And as we you know, go through Earth Week or Green Week, how about Intelligence Week? How about realizing that one size does not fit all and, and and it's an easy fix. It's an easy, you bake it into the design and you only have to do it once and then everybody can copy the same formula. It's not a difficult concept to get around. And uh, for those people who, I mean, and by the way, we deal with airports all the time that are opening up new airports. There's a new airport in, in, in Istanbul, brand new airport, huge, right? And 25% of the planes there don't have gates, they land and you're bust for 40 minutes. I mean, it's 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 like, and that's a new airport. Who whose idea was that? I mean, I'm told as I search for some of the missing logic within the air industry, the aviation industry, that I don't have the big picture. But I think the truth is that you and I have simple answers to big problems out there, and we need people to listen and to act. On that happy note. And that's a nice happy note. I would encourage anybody listening to this show, if you've got some great ideas, email me, peter at petergreenberg.com. You're out there traveling. You see what works. You see what doesn't work. And you know what? Nine out of ten times, it's a no-brainer fix. You just got to get people to stop validating their jobs and get them to start doing their jobs. My thanks to Greg, to Paul Bennett, and to Costas Chris. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate or review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and we'll always keep you clued in, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.